Our gospel reading comes from John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. To explain the salvation of God to the religious leader, Nicodemus, Jesus refers to the scripture passage quoted in today's first reading. Just as those who looked upon the bronze serpent were healed, so people will be saved when they behold Christ lifted up on the cross. And now the reading. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our good and gracious God, we give you thanks for a clear day to come to church. For weeks of storms and snowy weather have taken a toll on some of us. We still uh, appreciate power so much more than we used to, electricity and all the ways that we are spoiled with all the goodness of life here. Uh, We do ask that you continue to restore power to those who may be without And we ask that you restore the power in our lives of your spiritual grace and forgiveness and hope, the power of being a child of God, the power of being able to call upon you at any time of day or night and know that you hear us, know that you love us, know you forgive us, that you died for us, Lord. We don't have such a friend, I don't think, anywhere else, but we ask, Lord, that we can also honor you and give you more time and more focus During this Lenten season, we are in the 40 days of Lent, a time for intensification of our spiritual walk. I hope that so many snowy days have given us some moments of silence and solitude to draw closer to you and hear all the blessings you want to give to us, your children. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever tried to help somebody who just didn't want to really be helped? It's a challenge. You make a great suggestion, you're thinking, but they can't embrace it. A person with a terrible, terrible sore throat, red eyes and dripping nose, before, stands before you, uh, and you suggest, you might try gargling with warm salt water. It will help your throat. To which they respond, oh, I can't stand the taste of all that salt. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It's just this nose keeps dripping. Well, you say, have you used Dayquil? I find that it doesn't make you drowsy at work, but it really helps your nose. Nah, I prefer to let it all drip out and not block my head. Or a person walking a dog on a leash while it's pulling their arm out of joint, and you say, wow, Fido's got a lot of energy. I found that a light, gentle leader choker collar works for a dog. Sometimes it 
It helps them from getting so out, of, out ahead of you, lunging. Oh, no thanks, they say. She minds me perfectly when we're at home. I don't want to break her spirit. Well, despite all the rejection of the well-intentional advice we give to the immune types, some of us do persist in trying to enlighten folks. Or do you get huffy, maybe, and just decide there's too many closed minds and I'm going to stay silent? Well, we see a little of this dynamic in today's scripture lesson. The scripture lesson from Numbers, which is always amazing, and the gospel are meant to go together. As you see, the ungrateful Israelites, just freed from slavery in Egypt, are complaining already in record time to Moses about the inferior menu selection in the middle of the desert. They realize, maybe, that they are acting a bit spoiled as a snake infestation has joined them. And many are being bitten and dying daily. So they asked Moses to intervene with God for help. And he does. And God suggests to their suffering that they might make a serpent of bronze and raise it up on a pole. And everyone who looks on that serpent will live. This response to the Numbers Bible text was written by Deborah Stowers in an email. And I quote her. As a person who's had a lifelong terror of snakes, I respond to the sentence, in Numbers, some of the bitten people could have refused to look at the bronze serpent and died. It's hard to imagine why anyone would, but it was possible. From my own nightmares, she says, I can easily imagine being a Hebrew woman surrounded by venomous snakes, slithering in the sand and crawling around the rocks, hanging from the tent flaps and ties, hiding behind the pots and the pans and your cooking tools, the snakes, hideous odor permeating the air, adding to my terror of their presence and murderous intent. I can see myself desperately swinging my head from side to side and whirling my skirts to dislodge any regular or imaginary snakes that may be clinging to the clothes that I have on, vainly trying to look at all places at once and identify and avoid all the danger around me. I cannot imagine the courage then to lift my eyes up and to look away from the snakes to raise my gaze to a bronze serpent, even as the people who love me scream that it's the only chance to live. Fear, overwhelming terror, would immobilize me from doing this only thing that would save me. I suggest, she says, that many sin-bitten people do not look up and live also because of fear at the nightmarish situation in which they find themselves. When I hear this, I can't help but think of the infamous Bernie Madoff story of years ago, the story of the New Yorker who embezzled people's money away from them by the millions. Now, one of the most hated men he is in our era 
He knew what he was doing. He knew what he had done. He started this criminal Ponzi scheme for over 20 years. People were losing their money, their investments, and he had betrayed their trust. But he got himself just in so far, he could not extricate himself, he thought. He knew one day, though, one day he'd be caught. But did, did Bernie ever consider coming clean with his sin earlier in the game? There was a way out, indeed. And the punishment could have been much less for all his clients as well and himself. God might say, look up, Bernie. Look up at me who created you. Be honest with me and yourself. Confess your greed, your ego needs, the lie you're living, the mess you've made. Don't wait too long, Bernie, my son, or it will get more difficult. If not impossible, but the poison of self-reliance will kill you. The poison of self-reliance will kill you. As it says in John's Gospel, the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They did not come to the light so that their deeds might not be exposed. Notice that the result of all this darkness is separation from community, division, and death. Hardly a soul Hardly a soul supports Madoff today. It's Lent, as you well know. We're in the middle of Lent, in the middle of the desert. It's a a time for we Christians to examine where we are in our relationship with God, to look up at the cross indeed and see if we are living that new life into which we were baptized In baptism, we are called by the line, let your light so shine before others that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our example in the world is an evangelism mechanism, so to speak. Look up to the cross. Are we free enough to let go of pride and independence, of saying, oh, I can fix my own problems, I don't need any interference instead of opening our hearts to let God's light shine in and give us new insights for healing the brokenness inside of us. The symbolism of the number story and John's message shouldn't be missed. Jesus explains that he, not the bronze servant Moses fashioned, is the true salvation sent to us from God. Jesus is the one lifted up, to use the language of Moses and God in the Old Testament lesson. The serpent was lifted up. The serpent, as you might think, was also key in the creation story. The serpent was on a tree there as well, the one who brought the fall of humanity into sin. And in Golgotha, Jesus was lifted up also on a tree and crucified so that our sins and fears and love of darkness won't poison us forever. We're in the wilderness of 40 days now, and we are encouraged to focus on Jesus. We are actively to admit 
what tempts us daily, and to look at who we are and what pressures of life are making us who we are. Is it God's pressures or the world's? Do we let job stress and child care and angry relationships with family and housing demands and personal pleasures absorb all the time and energy we have? Do we feel the sting at times of emptiness and loneliness and frustration? Of course. Are we so stressed that we're spiritually void or so burdened by illness and diagnoses that we are losing hope altogether? Fear can immobilize us like the woman who couldn't look up when she thought snakes would be around her everywhere. Our own answers aren't working many times. When others try to help us, we get angry. Our faith gets weak, so prayer and more time with God is what we need, but sometimes we just don't welcome it. Honestly, such hostility is also the cover of darkness. The refrain in Lent is, Return to the Lord your God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus says today, if we want to live and truly live, not just be alive, breathing in oxygen, but truly live an abundant life, come to the light. Do what is true and let our our deeds be seen before God and confer with God about what to do next, how to heal the breach, how to bring light into our dark spaces. Many believers will serve as a bridge to those who are now distant from God because not all of us are estranged. Many of us are feeling very good, are thriving and feeling close and vibrant in God's vibrant presence. So how do we help others grow in their faith? The gospel says... Those who come to the light do what is true. Do what is true. Maybe that means that they model a person who is calm and real and honest and trusting in the God who loves them. And that trust is constant and unwavering. There's a story when native converts in the island of Madagascar used to present themselves for baptism. It was often asked of them, what first led you to think of becoming a Christian? Was it a particular sermon or a reading in God's word? The answer usually was, no. It was actually the changed conduct of others. Others who had become Christians. That's what attracted us. That's what we focused our attention on. I knew this man to be a thief, said one. He was, I knew this man to be a thief, that one was a drunkard, another was cruel and unkind to his family. But then they all changed. The thief is an honest man. The drunkard is sober and respectable. And the other one is gentle and kind now in his home. There must be something in this religion that can work such changes. In other words, 
to give hope to those in darkness, be the change you wish to see. Walk the talk. Because those who have come to the light, who have let God love them, know that when their sinful selves were exposed to Jesus, there was no condemnation. Contrary to human expectations, God went to great pains to demonstrate his non-judgmental, unconditional, never-ending love for us, every one of us. That's why he was lifted up on that cross. John 3.16 claims that we know it so well, God so loved the world, that I'm doing the Message Bible translation here. And it says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger at us, telling the world how bad it is and how bad we are. He came to help, to put the world right again. God's love reaches us right where we are. Whatever stage of discipleship we are in, we don't need to be anywhere particular. We don't need to fear, even in our darkest of times. Sue Monk Kidd was pregnant with her second child, she tells us in in a story. And her three-year-old son, Bob, was afraid of the dark. She tried everything to leave on a nightlight in the hallway, but nothing helped. One night, she held him against her to comfort him. And he touched her rounded abdomen. And little Bob asked, Mama, is it dark inside there where my little brother is? Yes, his loving mom said. It is. It's dark in there. Bob wondered, but does he have a nightlight in there? Does he? (laughs) No, his mother said, not even that. Then Bob hugged his mother. Do you think my brother is scared all by himself in there? I don't think so, she explained, because he's not really alone. He's inside of me. And it's the same way with you, she told her son. When it's dark and you think you're all by yourself, you really aren't. I carry you inside me, too, right here in my heart. And you know what? God would say the same to us today. We're never alone. In the darkest of times, we're inside the light of his everlasting love, carried right here in God's heart. Amen.